Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Uncharted. Yes. Which is a film I really wasn't looking forward to very much because it's based on a series of video games. Yes. PlayStation games that I love. Yeah. Tell us a bit about those video games because I don't know anything about them. Yeah, so the Uncharted series started in 2007 and there have been five main games in the series. And it follows this character called Nathan Drake. And the kind of, the thing, one of the things about people wanted to see in a movie version, they wanted to see Nathan Fillion cast mm. as him, who's an actor who was in Firefly, Serenity, and a few other things, but he's never been a huge star. I've never heard of him. No, well, I'm surprised that you haven't heard of him, but you, but he's never been a huge star. Mm. But there was a short film, a fan movie made of Uncharted, which had him in it in the key, in the main role, and it was good. Mm. Like, it wasn't an amazing movie, but it, it really sold him as the guy. The thing is, by the time this film's being made, he's really too old for it. And what they've done is they've cast younger anyway, because um, they're treating this as a kind of origin story yeah. for the character of Nathan Drake. So Tom Holland plays the role. Um, and it's a different story from what you get in the games, because you do see the origins in the games, and it's different. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I'm actually, I really enjoyed this film, yes. is because it's just treated as a totally different thing, really. Yes. It references the games an awful lot, but it doesn't, it's, it's so different in so many ways that you just go, this is a totally different thing. It's a different treatment of the same material, in a way. And yet you said that the beginning of the film which starts with lots of things falling off this airplane, including Tom Holland hanging on for dear life, mm. is a staple image from the games. Yeah, so I was just showing you a scene from Uncharted 3, which was probably 2011 or so, um, where the main character, Nathan Drake, is having a fight on a cargo plane, and then he pulls the cord and opens the back of the plane, or actually the, the other guy opens the back of the plane, but either way, he pulls the cord, all the cargo starts flying out, it's hanging on for dear life, and he's hanging on to it for dear life. And this is a scene that is directly redone hmm. in the film. And the film is doing quite a bit of this, so there are other scenes which are taken from other games. So particularly Uncharted 4, which is about this search for kind of pirate treasure, the end of the film is the same in some ways, as the end mm. of that game, where you find this pirate ship in a big cave. It's beautiful. And also the auction scene here, where they're having to steal this cross, is basically the same mm. um, as something in that game as well. Um, so is it so, like an amalgamation? Is the film an amalgamation of the different games? or Yeah, to an extent. And it basically, it's taking, it's taking the same kind of raw material and building something slightly different out of it. So when I talk about the casting, one of the things that was kind of worrying was um, the character of Sully in particular, who is Nathan Drake's mate. He's mm. his older friend, um, and they, they go treasure hunting together. Uh, and in the games, he's like 60-odd, and he's got white hair and a big moustache and a big cigar, and he's chomping all the time. And I always thought a good piece of casting for that would be... Uh, who's the guy who played J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man movies? Um, J.K. Simmons. Mm. Like He has that same kind of thing to him. And one of the reasons, one of the ways that they play off each other in the games is that Sully is really all about the treasure... And he's not really about the adventure, and he's not about the intellectual pursuit, which Nathan is. Like mm. Nathan has this aspect to him, which is he loves the stories. Mm. All these games are based on these legends, you know, and they're real legends. You can't like you you won't learn a lot from the games, but you can actually learn a little bit mm. about kind of ancient cultures and ancient stories and things, or these legends from the past. So you have like the Gunsway heist is what Uncharted Four is based around, which is this historic kind of uh, pirate heist, mm. and then it, it leads to this lost. Lost City. They're always finding lost cities and lost empires in these games. So they come across Libertalia in mm. that one, which is this fabled pirate city that the pirates all set up so they can enjoy their gold in. You find it in that game, and it's fantastic. 
Um, they reference Raiders of the Lost Ark in the film, and it's yeah. This is something else interesting. I mean, I'm all, I'm all over the place, but um, I, I was thinking about when I was talking to Russell on his podcast, mm. um, not just for kids, probably in the last year or so. We've well, we've done a couple of Indiana Jones movies, and one of the things that I brought up on that podcast with him was how much it reminded me of the Uncharted games, and obviously mm. the Uncharted games build off Indiana Jones mm. in a big bad way. And one of the things that really reminded me of it was the use of the notebook, which you see here as well in this film. The use of the notebook is kind of key in those games because it's all about, like, you get like Francis Drake's notebook and all the notes that he kept and you have to try and decode them or work out what he was saying and you find these maps and they link to other things and blah, blah, blah. And there's this intellectual pursuit to the whole thing, which is part... I mean, there's, it, there's a puzzle-solving element to the games as well, right? So you're not just fighting people you're and exploring, but you're also trying to solve a puzzle to get under the crypt and blah, blah, blah. Again, you see that here. Mm. Um, and so, you know, but that, in that podcast, I was, I was thinking, God, it reminds me so much of Indiana Jones. And then watching this film makes me think of the differences between this and Indiana Jones, particularly in the Indiana Jones, or Indiana Jones, the character, is a professor, mm. you know, and here they're treasure hunters, mm. you know. And so there's, there's this aspect to these characters, which is criminal. Yes. Which I never really thought about before until seeing this today. Gleefully criminal, because actually our introduction to the Tom Holland character mm. is him and his brother sneaking into this house to steal something and coming across the map. And then when you see him 20 years later in the present or whatever, what you see him is stealing a bracelet. Yeah, right? yeah. So he's a grifter and he's on the make. But yeah, you're right, it's gleeful, right? And, it's, and these are fun criminals. There's an interesting thing in the games which doesn't come up here at all, really. The games led to this, they were, they were some of the games in the world that led to this term, ludonarrative dissonance. Mm. And the idea of that, is, ludo is play, play yes. and narrative is story, mm. and dissonance is the difference between them. So what happens in the Uncharted games, which does not happen here to any appreciable extent, is there is a lot of murdering. Mm. You know, like you're basically, the, the structure of the game and the film, games and the film, is fundamentally, broadly very similar. You've got Nathan and Sully even though this is where they're meeting in the film, you know, normally they're just together already. Um, they're on the look for this treasure. They're following a story, they're following a map, they've got a little bit of a clue, and then one clue leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And you've also, on the other side, got a big bad villain, who's here played by Antonio Banderas. It's fabulous. Uh, yeah, he's lovely in it. Um, who has a lot of money, a lot of power, and they want this stuff because they want more money and power. And they've hired someone, some other treasure hunter, who these two already know because treasure hunters go in the same circles or whatever. So, you know, you have um, uh, Chloe and whatever here. And then they, they face off against each other throughout the game and so on. So broadly, they're kind of very similar. But um, the thing is that in the games, you, you, you have the big baddie and they have their minions, hundreds, thousands of these guys who come after you. And so what will happen is you'll go to a new place, you'll go to like the castle in Scotland or the ancient city in the desert or whatever, and you'll find what you're looking for and then straight on your tail come all the baddies. And then it's your job to fight your way out of there. Mm. And so you shoot hundreds of these guys and yet Nathan and Sully are still charming, friendly, lovely, you know. And so there's this thing that started where it's like people started to question like, well, this, that's where this term came from, ludonarrative dissonance, the difference between what you are actually doing in the game, which is being a manic mass murderer, and what the story is telling you, which is these guys are fun, yes. and they're lovely and charming. The film not, handles that Well, it's not saying that you get here very much at all. Yeah. It's a 12A, there's hardly any killing, there's basically there's one death at the start where the guy falls off the thing, and the start is only showing you what's happening at the end anyway, Yeah. where the actual 
action is taking place. And all of the death, for the most part, is people falling off a high place. And yeah, you just never go, see ah. them. You never see them like yeah. splat. So to the stuff. point where, when they were shaping up to have a fight, a physical fight on the pirate ship, and um, Sully gets a sword and Nathan gets the dagger, you're thinking, "There's no way he's going to use that dagger. Like it's mm. just, it's not it's not possible. It's not going to happen." So why are they even trying to sell it? Like mm. the film is not interested in that at all. So that's a, that's a big difference. The film doesn't try to address, you know. The, the possibility that this is going to be violent in any way. It's not. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we should probably like say what the film is about, I suppose. Yes. So this is, as I say, kind of an origin story for Nathan and Sully and their partnership. So Nathan, it, it brings in so much stuff in the game. So Nathan has a brother, um, and his brother, it turns out, has been working with Sully, and, and his brother, Sam, this is, uh, has gone, quote-unquote. You know, that's what we're told. And so Sully has gone looking for Nathan... Because he thinks Nathan might know what Sam knew, get him involved in the treasure hunt. And if I could say something about that, I thought that was really important because, you know, in some ways, this is this is kind of a, a quite a standard treasure hunt adventure story. Mm. But the film begins by brooding it effectively in this loving relationship uh, between the two brothers. Yeah? yeah, which I think anchors the film in a slightly different area that becomes important. Yeah, absolutely. And coming from, having come from the games, you know, you didn't even know for the first three games that Nathan had a brother. They introduced him in the fourth and then gave him this whole kind of tragic backstory and things with the brother. Um, it's not exactly the same story either, but, you know, he has this brother and so on. Um, but yet, and like, so in the games, the, the relationship he was always rooted in was Nathan and Sully and also Nathan and uh, Elena, hmm. who's not here at all. Elena is in the games... Um, Nathan's love interest mm. and there's more of a love interest thing going on with Chloe here yes. um, who does appear in the games and you know, that's by the by like, the, thing about the, the thing about Elena is that she shows up when Nathan is already treasure hunting and you know they, they get together as a grown up pair so it makes sense that she's not showing up here mm. it is something that you miss a little bit as a fan of the games but that's not the story it's telling mm. um, but that central relationship you're right is, it, it's, it's always set in this film as the search for his brother. It's the longing for his brother, mm. which is really important. And it's something that I really liked, in fact. And I was so nervous about the casting because, well, nervous is not the right term, but just so I had no expectations of it because I do like Tom Holland and I like Mark Wahlberg, but just knowing the games, I thought, oh, these guys aren't going to fit. And I really liked them both. Yeah. I mean, I have mixed feelings about Mark Wahlberg because actually I don't like him. Mm. But I kind of do, yeah, so it's a weird thing, because, I mean, I would never go see a film because he's in it, really. But he's got a kind of a, a septic sourness, <laughs> yeah, that I really like, yeah, and, and he's almost always very good, actually, mm. you know, so, so, you know, that might be a dissonance between his star persona and what he represents, and then actually the way he often really is in films, which I do end up liking. Mm. And I think this is a film that succeeds on its casting, right? Because, you know, in many ways, it's a by-the-numbers adventure story. I mean, it's, it's quite well done, right? But it's not particularly, like, dazzling or impressive in any way. No, like, I, the action scenes are fine. I and agree with that. It's great to be in, you know, those exotic locations. But I think what really makes it special to me is the casting. I think Tom Holland is incredibly charming. I like him much more than I have done in the in the Spider-Man films, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, the first time I've seen him carry like uh, 
you know, a different type of film, and he's actually mm. excellent. I was thinking it's a film that demonstrates his his star persona. He's yes. a star. He's a star. Another, you know, because like in Marvel, he's amongst other people, and he's one of the bigger players in that. Spider Man is one of the bigger characters, but he's always amongst other stars. Here, he's carrying it by himself, basically, mm. and he and he does it. Yes, because Mark Wahlberg is really. I mean, he's very good and he's very effective, but it actually is a supporting part. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it's maybe the central supporting part. Yeah, but the film is about uh, uh, the Tom Holland character and his relationship with his brothers and why he's resolving the crime and you know who he might or might not uh, uh, fall for and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, he's the central character. Um, but I wanted to say something about the casting because for me it, it's really crucial. So you know, I was just going through the wiki page to try to remember everybody's names really, and uh, you know, it, it uh, uh, mentioned how the reviewer in Empire didn't go for the Antonio Banderas character. And let me see what he says so I can quote it accurately. Uh, So Nick DeSemlian criticized the dialogue between Holland and Wahlberg, opining that it was weak in comparison to those seen in the video games, and called Banderas a colorless villain. Uh, Now, I do think that, you know, Banderas' character is underwritten, Mm But all the more reason to have that kind of star casting, because I think he's far from a colorless villain. Uh, you know, he's a very kind of dynamic and charismatic villain. You know, and it's Banderas who makes it. Like you know, I mean, he made me laugh or gleeful just you know from the, a turn of phrase or an intonation in the voice, or actually through the raising of an eyebrow. Yeah, he is kind of like mm. you know a star actor in command of those effects. And it's kind of difficult to think what the role would have been without him, actually. Well, I, I mean, yeah, what it comes down to is is the bad writing of it, the poor writing of it, mm. or the lack of writing for it, really, is what mm. it is. Because um, I think we saw something similar in his character in um, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Yes. He was a villain in that, right? Mm. And it's a very similar kind of colourful Spanish mm. but, but he's basically doing like he's he's doing it himself yes. the writing is not really there for yes. it they've gone Antonio Banderas with his line in colourful Spanish villains can do this mm. and that's what they've done Yes, so it works but you, I think you do constantly feel the lack of writing in it though the, yes the lack of development yes but that's kind of different you know so I think this is a film that's made by the casting yeah right uh, you know I think Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg and Antonio Banderas and the villainess, what's her name? Tati Gabrielle, mm. uh, who is so charismatic. Uh, yeah, Tati Gabrielle as Joe Braddock. I think, you know, kind of, they make, to me, they make the film. Uh, I thought uh, Sophia Ali as Chloe was a bit of a damn squib. Yeah, she's, uh, she's not she, everything she could be. Yeah, and she lacked the charisma of the others, actually, mm. I think. Um, but, you know, I enjoyed it very much. I, I enjoyed the, the car chases through Barcelona. I enjoyed, uh, you know, the historical dimension, the mm. search dimension of the maps and what the crosses represent. And I love all know, that stuff. I love all that stuff as well. And it's really nice to see characters' interest in that stuff. That's one of the things that I realise is, is so appealing about the games as well, as I kind of mentioned, is that these characters are not just after the money. Sully is after the money and the treasure more than um, Nathan is. But, but basically, there's what Nathan is all about is the history. He loves the history. His name is Nathan Drake, which he believes, he's been told by his parents, as we hear in this film as well, um, is because he's descended from uh, Francis Drake, mm. a famous explorer and so on. 
Um, although in the games you do get eventually that no, it's a line he made it up himself. But that's also because he wanted to have you know he want he loves Nathan he loves uh, Francis Drake he wants to be that. So the thing is he he loves it he loves all this stuff and actually even though it's just a game character or whatever it's it's completely infectious mm. and I think you feel the same thing here like the reason that his brother was involved with Sully in this treasure hunt was because he knows all this stuff because he loves it just the same yes. the reason that Nathan gets involved he loves it just the same and he loves his brother it's a film. Unlike so much of American, uh, contemporary American cinema, it's a film that valorizes, that values knowledge yeah. and the pursuit of it, yeah, and that values intelligence and smarts, right, uh, which once was in despair of, you know, because actually American <laughs> cinema for so long has been almost showing off its stupidity as if, you know, somehow being intelligent or educated is like a, a crime against humanity or something, mm. right? So it's nice to see you know, a, a kind of a valorization of, of intelligence and knowledge, you know, and the pursuit of it, and a valorization of history in a, in a film, in, a, in an action mm. film. I also want to mention the action scenes. I really love them, actually. I, mm. I agree with you that they could basically always have been a bit better done. I like them also. But um, I think there's some real... Well, so there's the one bit where they're going through the, through the uh, church in Barcelona... They're trying to work. And this thing about heaven and hell, which is where it's like that's the puzzle solving. Mm. That's where you would be solving that puzzle yourself in the game, you know. Mm. And then it leads to this action scene. Well, it's this very interesting thing where they go under this church, and at the bottom is um, a nightclub in the basement, and at the top of the church where Sully is is a Papa John's, which is a really like. A, I, I was surprised by that, and I, that's a really nice kind of you know you've got this commercialization of this kind of historical ancient thing where they're looking for all this history, mm. and it, they've been commercialized in both ways, in both ends, you know, which I really liked. And then in the bar, it beca- you know they turn it into an action scene, and the music pumps up, and I and it's only, it's a quite short lived because well, it's just a short action scene. They're trying to get out of the place basically, but. I, I really loved it. I thought it came out of nowhere, really, and I really, really enjoyed it. What I really liked about it, and this might be an effect of the video game, you know, I have this thing about the geography of the scene, mm-hmm. yeah, and wanting to know where you stand, and if somebody punches there, you fall there, yeah? yeah, like, to be clear about how things are happening, because, you know, as a child, for me, part of the fun in, like, reading Batman comics and seeing action sequences was that you felt yourself doing them or you wanted to do them and you felt, okay, well, if I fall like this, where do I put my foot in order to get up, right? Like, you know, that was part of the pleasure. And I think that's all lost in, you know, kind of that huge constant cutting that you get in contemporary uh, action sequences. But this is a film where, you know, you could could play with that. You knew that, yeah, kind Mm -hmm. of... Uh, 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 if a punch is there, the person lands there. And actually, that was very well signified by the opening sequence of things falling down from the airplane. You always knew where you were and what the effect of a particular action would be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really, I love that. It made me enjoy it all the more. That's one of the other two action scenes I want to pick up on. So the falling out the plane scene, which we've mentioned, key scene from the games, and it's done here, is shown twice. And normally this is in a way that is I find quite annoying, which is where you open with the most exciting... The games have done this as well. Mm. Um, I think number two and number four both opened with like the most exciting action scene, and then you went back to you know three weeks earlier. And I always hate three weeks earlier. Mm. Uh, I think in an episode of Rick and Morty it was described as, like, I think people should just start their films when they start, and they mm. can't just cheat by going to the most exciting bit mm. to get you get your hooks mm. in. You know? 
Uh, but that's what it does. And save money on the production budget because they just repeat the sequence out. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. It starts off with, you know, Nathan's uh, on the, all this cargo. He wakes up and he's like, oh my God, I'm falling and I've got to try and climb up and you see a bit of it. And then the rest of the film happens. And then when you get back to that scene, having had it teased a little bit where you see the red Mercedes, mm. you know, and he says, I don't want this scratched. Mm. That's my Antonio Banderas. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and, he, and of course, you know that this car's going to get driven out of the plane because yes. you've seen it happen. So that's a nice little joke. And then when you get back to that scene, you get to see the other part of what's happening in it because there's this fight happening on the plane where Nathan isn't involving Chloe and mm. um, uh, Joe. And, you know, you haven't seen that start. Those characters haven't been introduced yet. So, actually, when Nathan jumps up on the plane, it's only you've, you've had two shots just to keep up with him. Mm. But the rest of the story has been prioritised there, yeah. which is nice, right? So, actually, you're not seeing the same thing twice. You're seeing the two halves of the story yes. at different times. Yes, which I, I really, thought that was good. I, yeah, which is much better than seeing the same thing twice. Mm. Uh, and also, when it comes to, you know, scene geography and that kind of thing, um, when, the, when they're falling, him and, uh, he and Chloe are falling and they're in the car... And they're having to chase down the cargo pallet that's got um, got a parachute on it so they mm. don't die. That's all done in one take. And obviously it's all done with CGI and face replacement and things like that. So it's very easy to do it with one mm. take. But it's been considered, right? They've thought about how we're going to show this in one go, how we're going to move the camera around and so on. And it really, really works for me. Mm. I loved it. Mm. And the other action scene that I wanted to mention is the final one with these uh, pirate ships being hoisted out of the water. They, so pirate ships, they contain all the gold, they found what they're looking for, and then obviously the baddies arrive to lift them out of the water with helicopters and fly them to where they can sell it for four This is a half. clever conceptual stuff, yeah, to bring the ocean into the sky. It's brilliant. <laughs> I loved it. I thought, you know, I kept thinking, oh, this could be done a little bit better, but I still love the idea of it so much that it becomes this pirate ship fight in the sky mm. where they're being <laughs> levitated by helicopters. And they make such great jokes out of it. So you've got the thing of all the guys on the one ship. So you've got Nathan suddenly hijack the one helicopter. So then the other helicopter then has to give chase, you know. And so you've got this one pirate ship <laughs> following the other pirate ship in the sky. And then all the baddies from the one pirate ship swing on to the other pirate ship. Like in the classic yeah, they, movie. Yeah. It's so, like Errol Flynn. It's so good. And then he does, you know, he shoots the helicopter with a cannon that hasn't worked for <laughs> 400 years. It's so good. And uh, the idea, I mean, it, it felt, it was something that I did not expect in this film at all. felt genuinely original. Oh. I didn't expect anything of that nature. And given the amount of references and things that they brought drawn out of the games, I expected it even less, because basically everything had been to some degree copied from the games. Mm. I thought, no, this is something I've not seen before. And it's such a great joke. It was great fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if there were a sequel to it, I would go. Yeah, and I kind of hope there will be. And maybe they'll make a sequel where all of a sudden they're older and you get to see Nathan Fillion and J.K. Simmons in my dream casting. Uh -huh. You know, probably not. But Well, actually, I thought the casting was perfectly fine because, you know, yeah. I mean, Wahlberg must be 50 now. You know, so he's not that far off. In terms of age, he's about right. But there's just saying about... If you looked up a picture of Sully from the game, you'd go, no, it's just not the same. He's not the same guy, really. And actually, well, in that mid credit sequence that you, I saw you stopped before you walked out and you saw it, um, he's given uh, he's got a moustache in it yes. and he's given a cigar which are like two key features of Sully from the games so they're basically making the concession that that's who you know we know who Sully is we haven't just got rid of them completely uh -huh. but that's not who he's been throughout the, most of the film and it's just not really the same character the other thing about the character of, of Sully in the games is that he does have more affection than he ever shows for Nathan here and admittedly they've only just met here but you know there's this whole uh, thematic through line with 
uh, Sully here, which is about don't trust anyone. He's a guy with real trust issues. And his story ends up resolving in him eventually choosing the person over the treasure and saying, trust me and I'll catch you. Hmm. Right? So, like, his, you know, he has a very clear um, uh, character arc. But it's just, it's just not the same guy. You know, whereas, whereas for Tom Holland, as someone who knows the games, you go, oh no, this is actually pretty much the same guy. I like, you know, I know this, or at least it's a version of the character I'm completely okay with. Mm. And that's basically the way I feel about everything in this film. I feel completely okay, and as a fan of the games, and my, you know, I, my my experience has not been corrupted or damaged. It's it won't it won't kill. Them. It's just it's just a version. It's a little bit like The Walking Dead, maybe, where like there's the comics and there's the TV show and there's the games, and they're all a different version of the same material. Mm. You know. Well, I didn't know the games. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I thought the casting was fantastic. I thought the chemistry was you know was 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 really superb uh the action sequence were very good the set pieces were very good including you know the auction the running around barcelona around mondrick park which you know had the combination of the action but the action in exotic locations mm. right um you know the fight with uh the the ships in the sky i thought was like great fun uh and it had like little other pleasures you know which i you know i was very pleased to see stephen waddington as the Scots henchman, the big Scottish oh, guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you might not know him, but uh, he was the star of Derek Jarman's Edward II. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I uh, didn't know him. And I had a real crush on him about 30 years ago. <laughs> so it was like nice to relive it. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Uh, so um, I highly recommend. Yeah, I, I, really surprising. Really surprising. And actually... They've just released a couple of remasters of Uncharted games recently for PlayStation 5, which obviously I've bought. Mm. Um, and because I bought them, one of the things is that they sent me an email saying, go and have a free ticket to Uncharted the movie. Uh-huh. You know, which again, which just made me think, you know, well, you're just piss scared that everyone's going to, no one's going to see this, everyone's going to hate it. Mm. Um, which is why you're giving away the free tickets. But um, I was, yeah, man, it worked for me. Yes. It's, to- it's a totally acceptable, really surprisingly fun adaptation of material that I really like and just a really good, decent, fun action movie in its own right. All right, well, on that note, uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Excellent. I kind of dominated that one, I think. No, I'm glad you did, though. You will. You know, it's fair enough. You knew more about it. I didn't have any problems with that at all. I welcomed it. Yeah. So, I'll tell you the other thing, actually, just quickly, is one thing I was disappointed in, Antonio Banderas doesn't get a very nice debt. I mean, it's... it's, it's... Oh, actually, no, I need to say something about that. Okay, well, go on then. Yeah. So, my one quibble with it is that there's a tinge of misogyny in the film. Oh, yeah. I thought. Right? So there's a kind of a gleeful... I mean, there are basically two women in the story, mm-hmm. right? And the, and mind you, they're not, like, traditional heroines, and one is, in fact, a villain, right? <laughs> you know? But there's a kind of a gleefulness to the way that Joe is killed, which I don't mind, yeah? The whole ship falls on her. Mm. But then when, you know, they're flying and they look down on Chloe, 
yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a kind of a... Uh, well, a, yeah, so he's sent her to the wrong location, having learned not to trust her, basically. Because yeah. we've seen him fall for it before, and now he's not. And so you see her in the boat, having gone to the wrong place, and they laugh at her yeah. predicament. So, not, not hugely major in this type of film, but the combination of both those things in a film in which they are the central female characters, just felt a bit... Yeah, I can see that. Misogynist to me. I can see that. Well, the thing about um, about Antonio Banderas' death is it comes much more quickly than I expected. I thought it would be he'll, he'll be the big one to die at the end of the film. Mm. You know, that's when it's going to happen. Mind you, again, having known the games a bit, that tends to be when that happens. Um, and it also happens... So it happens much earlier than the end of the film, and it happens in a much less... Uh, you know, ceremonial way mm. than it would. You know, he'd get a big action scene normally or a big death. And mm. here, just in the middle of talking about you know why he's here and his family and blah blah blah, he just gets his throat cut mm. by uh, by Joe. And then she, you know, obviously everyone's in on it. And she's like, right, this is ours now. All this all this treasure's ours. Fuck him. Which I did, I didn't mind the surprise of it. I thought, wow. But I thought. God, he deserves a bit better than that, you know? Mm. A bit more show. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that that is where it's underwritten. Because, in fact... Well, there's two things. You know, uh, he could have done it, and it would have been great. But then, of course, you reduce her role in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... And she is very charismatic, I think. You know, she she brings she brings the game to the film as well yeah yeah so um so i didn't mind that at all actually um yeah i, I think mostly it works it's just i suppose it's an interesting it's a shift in the in the dynamic because he is the key villain he's mm. you know even though we've seen more of joe and of chloe as it turns out she's been working with him as well you know he's still he's the one in charge he's bankrolling it. it's his operation they're working for him um and so the, the change in the dynamic that she just takes it upon herself to kill him and take it over is interesting um, but you do you, you, it does kind of rob you a little bit of what you would expect of his ending I think they missed an opportunity in the sense that if they are thinking in terms of sequels and I'm sure they are then if I were them I would have tried to figure out a way to keep uh, Antonio Banderas and is it Tati Gabriel Tatiana Gabriel Tatiana Gabriel uh, I would have tried to keep them both on for the sequels sorry Tati Gabriel you're yeah. right yeah yeah, but it'll be one of those where it, it changes all the time. I mean, you could, well, well, if you think about, I mean, you won't know the Uncharted games, but if you think about Indiana Jones, it changes all the time. It's yes. the, the constant is Indiana Jones and his friends, and the villains change all. Well, I suppose they're normally not. I mean, that might still, be they change all the time. Well, that I mean, and I could see how that also would be an attraction. Yeah, that kind of you bring in a big star name, you know, to be the villain in the mm. next film. I can see how that would work also, um, though you know. In order to attract a big star to playing a villain role, you have to write the characters a lot better than this one was with. Well, they got Antonio Banderas. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, they'd have to do a lot better than that to draw someone else of that caliber or higher. Mm. Right? Uh, because, you know, Antonio Banderas is not a box office star uh, in uh, Hollywood the way he once was. Mm. Right, so uh, and I think you know for sequels you would want someone uh, with uh, with a kind of a weight. One more thing I want to say is um, one thing that I thought didn't work about the filmmaking, which for the most part is kind of competent, mm. if not spectacular, 
one thing that I thought didn't work very well is the attempts to raise tension through kind of cross-cutting and things. Mm. So I'm thinking particularly about the auction scene and also essentially the whole sequence between uh, the whole sequence in the church where the characters are separated. One goes up top, one goes down yeah. bottom, and you know there there are these attempts to raise tension. You've only got a certain amount of time. You've got to get the lights out and all that kind of stuff. Just you know before, so we can steal the cross and so on and so forth. You know we've got to uh, you've got to get the key into your keyhole, otherwise we're going to drown. They should that should be raising tension more effectively than it was. It was, and they missed a lot of opportunities. I mean, you know, when you first see the nun in the cathedral, you think, oh, you know, kind of, yeah, people may be watching, people may be coming by while they're trying all this stuff. You know, they could have just built that in, right? Like, you know, yeah. a nun appears while they're trying to put the key in, or, like, yeah, there was a lot of missed opportunities there, really. Yeah. Well, that was actually one of the bits of, of what I thought was pretty bad dialogue, where they go, they they want to get into the church to. You know, find this treasure, use the keys, and uh, she goes and talks to them. And she says they're having a midnight mass. It's come back tomorrow, and it's like, okay. I mean, this gives you the opportunity to hang out and get drunk and have your story developments in the flat. But it's pretty lame dialogue. Well, also, my immediate impression was she's lying to them. She's going to show up that evening. Yeah, it could be that as well. Yeah. And the other thing is just like you're criminals, break in. Yeah. (laughs) Who cares if there's a midnight mass on? (laughs) 